When I was in the seminary, a very progressive one, I might add, the prevailing thought about the gospel account of the Magi was, it was really nothing more than Christian mythology, an artificial construct, a literary device to underscore the miraculous event of God becoming man. No serious theologian, no serious preacher could possibly really believe that these things called magi came to the Christ child? Well, I viewed that position as intellectual arrogance then, and I do so today. And thank God that modern trend has run its course and the sacred text is being taken seriously. Matthew says nothing more about the magi other than they came from where? the East. He simply takes it for granted that there are magi, as did all Jews and all ancient peoples of that era. It shocks modern people to learn there are non-biblical references to the existence of the magi going back to the 6th century BC, suggesting that they were a highly organized group which in turn suggests that their origins may have gone back even further. Despite all the political upheavals and military conquests of the ancient world in the area of modern-day Iran, Iraq, and Egypt, the Magi not only survived, but they grew in stature and prominence. Most ancient accounts of the Magi are flattering. They are portrayed as astronomers, navigators in the desert using charts that were made from their observation of the stars, mathematicians, and very importantly, interpreters of dreams, which was highly prized in the ancient world. Some ancient accounts about the Magi are not very flattering. Herodotus, a Greek historian from 440 BC, for example, chastised the Magi as schemers who tried to win political power and achieve royal status. <laughs> Pliny the Younger, who, would, by the way, was an eyewitness to the eruption of Vesuvius in the year 79, mocked the Magi as quacks. And Pliny the Young referred to a case in which a Magnus, the singular of Magi, in which a Magnus was approached by a person with a toothache, mind you, toothache, and he went about to prepare the treatment. It consisted of boiling earthworms and then pouring the liquid into the patient's ear. And next time you complain about a dentist, remember that one. Philo of Alexandria, a Jewish philosopher and a contemporary of Jesus, distinguished between reputable magi who were the true scientists of their age and the quacks, the magicians. The Hebrew Bible also makes references to magi. One of the earliest accounts is in the book of Esther, reflecting the period of 470 B.C. In chapter 1, verses 13 through 14, King Xerxes of Persia refers to the Magi in his court, and he calls them the wise men who know the times. And he also called them princes of Persia, from which we probably get the idea of the three kings. The book of Daniel, written around 160 B.C., 
actually reflects a much earlier historical period. It speaks of several Jewish men, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, being captured by King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, who was so impressed with their wisdom that he added them to his court's magi. In chapter 1, verse 20, we are told, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. Only Daniel was successfully able to interpret the king's dream, for which the king made him ruler over Babylon and a supervisor over all the magi. So, there were even Jews among the ranks of the ancient Magi. In the book of the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 39, verses 1 through 13, Jerusalem had fallen as Jeremiah predicted. It was clear that King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon took Magi with him into battle as his advisors. What is particularly interesting that we are actually given the name of one of his magi, Nergal Sharazer, who has the title of the Rab Mag, which means chief rabbi, a prestigious position. And it was to Nergal Sharazer that King Nebuchadnezzar entrusted the care of Jeremiah, who was to be treated with kindness and courtesy. So, when Matthew, a Jew, who wrote his gospel for Jewish people, stated that Magi came from the East, he takes it for granted that his Jewish audience would have taken their ancient history into account and come to the gospel conclusion. God can and he does work with anyone, with any group of people, at any time, at any period of history that he wishes to do so to make himself known. No one has an exclusive claim on God. It is God who has the exclusive claim on us. Matthew, however, calls us to consider something else. When the Magi inquire where the Messiah is to be born, Herod did what? He summoned all the chief priests and the scribes of the people Knowing the ancient texts, they told the king and the magi the Messiah had to be born where? In Bethlehem, the house of bread. The magi went off, but not one of those chief priests, not one of those scribes, made the effort to go to, go to Bethlehem. They knew the prophecies. They knew their long and ancient history. They knew how God worked in ways that defied human logic and expectation. They had these magi right in front of them as a sign. But they refused to put it all together. And Herod had no desire to go to Bethlehem. He was intolerant of any remote idea that his throne was threatened. These magi, pagan scholars, represented the best of ancient humanity 
and they completed their long journey to find the one who is the truth. While those who laid claim to being in the truth kept themselves confined to the comfortable safety of their palace or their temple, happy to settle for their personal opinions, their personal wisdom, then take the chance to encounter the wisdom of God become flesh. And it is here that Matthew asks us to confront ourselves. Mary and Joseph left the comfort of their home to obey the law and go to Bethlehem. Shepherds, long considered to be worthless thieves, the scum of the people, risked leaving their relative comfort of their flocks to seek out the Holy Child as the sole source of their hope. What do we do? Do we so sanitize the Mass, the Divine Liturgy, where we hear the voice of Christ in the gospel, receive his body and blood in the mystery of the Eucharist, and yet ignore the holy mystery that is constantly reaching out to us, even now? Do we resist the graces that we are given to discover Jesus in the poor, the lonely, the sick, the elderly, do we think that pew time is a substitute to avoid the journey, admittedly at times a difficult one, to an ever-deepening relationship with Jesus? Do we content ourselves with our personal opinions, our personal theories, instead of making the journey to him to prostrate ourselves before him and to lay out our gifts before him. Just as the Magi followed a strange light to he who is wisdom, we who were immersed in his light in baptism are graced to constantly rediscover the love he has for us. But are we perhaps like the chief priests and the scribes, all too content to sit with our opinions, 